You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Healthcare in the U.S. is going through an era of groundbreaking innovation. On June 11th, the Washington Post Live hosted Transformers Health, featuring health innovators and experts to discuss the most innovative solutions to today's top health challenges. In 2017, Katie Stubblefield became the youngest person in U.S. history to receive a face transplant. In this segment, we'll take a look at how 3D imaging and augmented reality technology were used to perform her surgery, and we'll also hear from the lead surgeon and other tech experts about how this new frontier of surgical imaging and navigation can revolutionize medicine. Let's listen. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Katie Zuzma. I'm a national correspondent for The Washington Post. Um, I'm really thrilled to introduce my guest here today. We have Dr. Brian Gassman. He's a plastic surgeon at the Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Gassman led a team of 11 surgeons in performing uh, this successful facial transplant in 2017. And Katie was the youngest person um, ever to receive a facial transplant. And also with us is Carl West, Director of Medical Device Solutions at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, Mr. West is one of the clinic's lead innovators. He was in charge of spearheading the use of new technologies um, in, this, in this surgery. So we hope you can join the conversation. Please tweet at us with the hashtag uh, postlive. So um, Dr. Gaston, first question is for you. Um, you know, this was a pretty groundbreaking transplant. I know you've done a number, there have been a number of facial transplants at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, Katie Stubblefield was the youngest transplant recipient in U.S. history. 11 surgeons and you were the lead. Um, you know, by the time you saw Katie, it was about six weeks after, um, after the trauma had happened. How many surgeries had had on her face? Uh, what makes this face transplant different from the others that have occurred both here in the U.S. and abroad? Thank you. Uh, I think there's a number of unique aspects to Katie's story. Uh, obviously, her age was part of it. One thing that we see many times in these patients is that they've gone through multiple reconstructive surgeries before they ever come to us. And as such, we're dealing with patients who not only have had other physicians treating them where it's hard to know exactly what happened, but many of them have gone into deep depression, opioid addiction, and, and other negative social factors that make their case very difficult. One of the reasons that we were able to be successful with Katie is that we got to her so early in the process. Her youth, uh, was both a positive and a negative. It was positive because we all know that younger people tend to heal better. On the other hand, we also know that transplantation in younger patients tend to have a higher risk of rejection. There's many reasons for that, and these give us a lot of pause into moving forward. Uh, but ultimately, it was really her story that was so impacting on us personally as physicians, uh, not just us as physicians, I say the nurses, everyone. It was very hard to see someone that might be your daughter. I literally have a daughter her age uh, and to treat her and, and to eventually sort of her become part of the family, if you will. And, and so for all those reasons, she was a really unique case. Uh, we're just very happy that she did as well as she did. Zane, given the complexities of the surgery, what were some of, some of your biggest concerns going into it? Well, the surgery is more than just uh, an event. It was really a process. The, probably the biggest concern we had was finding the right donor for her. And now we're talking about after we've sort of got through the scary parts of dealing with someone who had had an injury to her brain and her face and all the reconstructive efforts that required to get her to a safe point. The donor part took, I think, 15 months of us evaluating multiple different unfortunately young women. Mm -hmm. And even then we had one false alarm. 
that was probably the most difficult because we didn't know what we were going to give to her. It would be someone who was much larger, much smaller, uh, already more aged, maybe other um, deformities. Uh, we didn't know how she and her family would uh, handle having a new face. I think that was by far the most challenging part. And Mr. West, let's talk about the technical in innovations involved in the transplant. It was done with some pretty unbelievable technology, included augmented reality, 3D imaging, and 3D printing. Can you tell the audience kind of what augmented reality is and how it was used in this in this procedure? Sure. So augmented reality is we we we're, we're, we took Katie right, and what we were able to do is superimpose. Um, images onto her using, this is a, what we call a HoloLens. This is a device you can wear in your head. And it allows the, the surgeon and the physician, the caregivers, to still see the environment around them, including Katie. But what we're able to do is, is project different images onto Katie, different scenarios, say, of, of uh, the different type of, of, of cranial structures, maybe how, how much they wanted to take or what they didn't want to take. So it would allowed us, allowed the physicians to look at different scenarios on the fly. And you see in the, this video, you kind of, you, you work it by kind of going like that. Can you explain a little bit about how, how, you, how you make it work and, and kind of what, what it is more that you see when you're in there? Sure. So, you know, the, the idea of this, it, it's a computer. It, it really is. So what we do at the Cleveland Clinic is we develop these different applications. What the beauty of working in the Learner Research Institute is that we have access to the end user. In this case, it was Dr. Gassman and some of the other ones, Dr. Pepe. And so it was that interaction that allowed us then to, to take these goggles and to download information onto it that they could use. Dr. Gashman, what was it like for you using, using that? Have you done something like that before? And as a, as a surgeon, you know, what was it like to kind of add all this technology into what you were doing? It was new. It was absolutely new. The way I was raised, if you will, in surgery was to use what we call axial scans where there are just cuts across the patient and then you in your mind had to sort of put that together. Then later we had what was called 3D imaging and really what you see is a, uh, a rebuilding, if you will, of the skeleton but all we see is the outside. We could move it around, flip it upside down, but that's it and still you had to use your mind's eye between those axial cuts to know what's going out on the inside with what you see on the outside. With this technology, we can actually go within the actual patient's and its donor's anatomy and see what's going to happen from the inside's perspective and how we're going to connect some of those inside, if you will, structures to the other patient. Yeah, and you can see, kind of see in the video a yeah. little bit of that, a little bit of that going on. I'm um, speaking of 3D, uh, Mr. Ress, there's 3D printing involved, right? Which is, you know, yes. some, can you tell me a little bit about what, how that played out in this, in this uh, surgery as well? So 3D printing, you know, what we do is we take the, the, the CT data sets, their DICOM data sets the, of, of KD, and, and what we did then was, was work with the physicians and we selected out what the very important information is that they needed to have in their hands. So it provided them this physical model that they can look at, especially the vascular structure. I mean, I, I don't think it, you realize how much of the, of the, that was actually transplanted from one person to another. Uh, and what the 3D printed models allowed them to have a, a, a model of, of Katie and then also of the donor. And then they can physically look at these. And then along with the HoloLens, it provided just a tremendous amount of information. And those are the, those are the skulls right there, right? The 3D printed Those are some skulls. of them, yes. Yeah. There, there's a, we had multiple uh, prints. Mm -hmm. and Dr. Gassman, how did you get trained to use this? I put it on earlier and it's, it's amazing. You can kind of see everything, but it's, it's very complex. So how did you get trained to do this? Well, Carl uh, and his team, we actually have a number of students that 
uh, our work with him and us together uh, as collaboration, and they actually uh, teach us how to use it, and then we come up with ideas how we can ap apply it to not just face transplant, but other, especially in our line of business, craniofacial reconstruction. And how, in terms of, of craniofacial reconstruction, how, since this is your specialty, how, um, how helpful has it been in terms of other, other procedures and other, other things that you're doing? Well, we've been using uh, three-dimensional modeling for reconstructive planning and the development of plates for some time, as well as those type of um, models that you see there. Uh, this is really an emerging technology. It's something that uh, we're, it's still, I would say, I, I would still call it experimental. Mm -hmm. uh, what it has done, though, is open our minds to how we're going to operate on the future patient. We're no longer going to, you know, what we thought was really cool and new three years ago is already old. Mm -hmm. And this has really changed how we look at uh, craniofacial reconstruction. And Mr. West, is it becoming more commonplace to integrate technologies like this into medicine? Kind of how are you getting this into what physicians and nurses and, and everyone at the Cleveland Clinic is doing every single day? You know, the, some of the beauty of working at a research institute that's directly linked to a hospital is that we spend a lot of time in the ORs working with the clinicians. And as engineers and scientists, we start seeing some of the limitations. Right now, if you think of minimally invasive procedures right now, right? So, you know, years ago you would spend, you know, possibly weeks in a hospital after a, some type of open procedure because of infections. Well, now we can do minimally invasive. We do everything through your arteries or problem is you don't see anything, right? Um, you, you, you see everything on the ultrasound or fluoroscopy. Using these goggles uh, and, and the applications we developed at the Cleveland Clinic is it provides kind of x-ray vision to the physicians. I mean, vision is the most important thing that the surgeons need. And this provides a 3D image of 3D anatomy. So this allows them to, I think, uh, first of all, see things better, uh, perform and, and, and more accurately perform. And how, you know, how long does it take to, for, you, for you all to fine tune it and make sure it's working well before it actually gets into the hands of, of the clinicians? Well, it's a lot of back and forth, <laughs> I will say that. You know, it takes a team. I, I have a, a, this is a great team at the Cleveland Clinic that uh, we have, and we've worked for, for many years on developing image guidance. So um, it's not just the goggles, but we're also uh, using the goggles to track devices that we're placing in the body as well. So for everything from aortic repair to tumor ablation. Can you talk about that? Like, what, how, do you, how do you do that? So uh, aortic repair, uh, aortic aneurysms. Um, Think back and, you know, before we did endovascular procedures, we'd have to cut the patient open and then we would cross clamp the aorta. We would do, cut out the bad section and put the new section in. Now what we can do is come up through the leg and it's, it's like a stent. It just pops open inside. But when you do these procedures, you're using fluoroscopy. It's a 2D image of a 3D problem. So now what we've done is we've taken the patient's image uh, CT data sets. Uh, we can download all that into the computer and then any of the devices that are placed inside the body we track using electromagnetic tracking. And all that then is displayed on the HoloLens, including ultrasound. Mm -hmm. So now the physician can, the caregiver is looking at the patient right where his hands are working, not at a screen somewhere else, at his hands. He can see the patient's anatomy and everything that's going inside that, we're, that the devices are, the device that's being placed inside at that time. So it's, it's real, it's real time. Mm -hmm. 
right? And you can see that it's the whole, the, the holistic picture rather than just the two, 2D of a 3D problem. Right, and, and just like you did earlier, you tried it on and you can walk around the patient, right? So you're able to look at the patient from many different angles, angles that you would never get with the standard of care that we have right now. Yeah, that's, that's ext extremely interesting to know all the different, are there any applications where it's worked, you know, aside the, the aortic, but any other, um, you know, areas of medicine where it's worked particularly well and others where it, it hasn't worked quite as well and you're still trying to figure that out? So one of the areas we have a small uh, IRB evaluation going on at the Cleveland Clinic where we're using it for tumor ablation in the liver right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, ablation, cryo, cryo, cryo and uh, microwave ablation um, works very well if you can get to where you need to be in the tumor. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what we're doing right now. We're, we're guiding the surgeon to where they need to be within that lesion to do a very good, a very complete, um, um, basically a good kill zone of, of the whole. Um, I tell you the truth, we haven't had many areas that we haven't been successful in. Those are just kind of the main ones we're, 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 pick, we're picking up. And with the tumor, right it kind of helps you bore down to exactly where you need to, to go. Yeah, you think that you can do preoperatively, if you can go in, uh, look at the images of the patient, say, this is where I need to be, this is where I need to be when, when I do the ablation. I can guide you to that. This technology will guide you to that position. And I mean, you know, the theme of today's program is innovation. I guess, you know, what do these t disruptive technologies mean for innovation in medicine? Are we kind of just looking at the tip of the iceberg here, or where, you know, kind of where do the where do we go from here with this? Um, and I Both think you, yeah. Brian can attest to some of this. Is that I think the Hololens, uh, not just the Hololens, but I say holographic guidance and using holograms uh, is is going to change medicine drastically right now. I think it's going to allow us to uh, perform procedures faster, more accurately over time. Um, it's it, it's providing 3D imaging. I mean, this is the piece that's been missing for a long time and views that you cannot get with, right now with the standard of care. I've been told by some physicians that this is going to change medicine like x-rays changed medicine at one time. Wow. And how about you, Dr. Gassman? How do you think this is changing, you know, innovation, especially since, you know, in the, over the course of your career, seeing the, 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 the evolution of this? Well, holographic uh, technologies like this are also part of a spectrum of wearable technologies. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that it is doing right now that's disruptive is in the sense of, in a positive way, of course, is, is education. Mm -hmm. So for instance, when I put on some type of uh, image uh, assessor uh, on my head, I can actually show those I'm training the surgeon's view. When you see what you see here, this is what mo most people are, are seeing from behind me, right? There, it's a maybe a bird's eye view, it's a side view, but it's not really the surgeon's view, what they're dealing with the challenges that, that, that they have. Having things that are literally in our view as a wearable technology opens the door from the people that want, we want to train uh, to see what we're seeing. Adding what this is really augmented reality to it also has an educational component to it because now those who are learning how to do these very complex surgeries can actually do these surgeries without actually having to touch a patient. Mm. They can see how accurate their, their surgery was and then be assessed until they're really ready to do it on their own. Mm -hmm. I was say, is this, is this something that's being integrated into medical schools right now for, for residents? Tell me a little about that, how you're kind of teaching this, this younger crop of, of surgeons uh, in, to, to use these types of uh, things, but just through their regular training. Well, Carl probably could tell you, but the, this started, I believe, as a uh, collaboration for the medical school. Yes. Uh, mm. You want to mention that? 
Well, the, the, so the Cleveland Clinic has its own medical school, and, and, and the idea is to kind of do away with cadavers and do more of this type of augmented or um, virtual reality. Uh, you know, you know, with these with these different technologies, we can place the, the 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 students in different scenarios, right? That you can't get just on a cadaver. I think the other piece of it is it's really important is telementoring. Is, is that uh, a surgeon in, in that maybe not performs procedures, uh, you know, a, a lot, right? Maybe maybe somewhat um, in in the uh, early stages. A more senior surgeon across the United States or on our side of the world can put the goggles on, and together they can communicate through these goggles and perform the procedure. Amazing. We only have about two minutes left, so last question: Are you? Is there any concern about safety and security issues? You know, with these emerging technologies like AI and machine learning. Well, I think there always is. Uh, you know. I will tell you from our standpoint the clinic, we're research. We're at the very early stages of this and we're working with the clinicians. You know, these will eventually be, uh, this technology will eventually go into companies. Like there's two companies already formed out of the Cleveland Clinic with this technology. Then that burden's gonna be more placed on those companies at, the, at that point, I think. But there always is a concern, right? There's people, because this uses the internet and you know, to communicate, so we have to have secure networks. So I think there's gonna be a lot of work in that area, yeah. I agree. So unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this segment. I could ask you both questions for the rest of the day on this. It's so fascinating. But thank you so much. I want to thank Dr. Brian Gassman and Carl West for joining me. Um, and now we will move on to the next portion of our program. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com. 